Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And because today, when this episode is airing, it is Halloween. So I thought it was perfectly fitting to once again bring an episode of stories of Halloween from yesteryear. So I'm going to be venturing into a lot of different random newspaper articles from different time periods to give you a snapshot of what Halloween was like way back when. So come along and join me. Now, Halloween had two major differences, and a lot of it was divided by age groups, I think, when it comes to young people, Uh, especially back in the Victorian era, the 1800s and the early 1900s in this country. There were the older kids that, let's say 15 and older, tended to go to Halloween parties, and the younger kids, mostly boys, engaged in what would be best described as mayhem on that evening. So we're going to cover stories that cross over both of these types of activities here. Let's begin with some Halloween parties. This article comes from a issue of the Battle Creek Moon, which was published on November 1st, 1901. And in the same paper, there's an article about Halloween parties, and there's another article about some of the mayhem. And the Halloween parties that happened the night before... Uh, there's a little article here. It says, The Halloween party given last night by the Germania band at the auditorium was an event of jollity to those who attended. About 150 couples danced to good music until midnight. Although a great many differences of kinds of Halloween parties were held last evening, there is only one poverty party announced for this week. That will be held this evening at the home of C.M. Ranger, 57 West Fountain Street, and everyone is cordially invited. Don't forget your old clothes. So I guess a poverty party is you dressed up with old clothes, kind of like a bum, I suppose. That was the costume of the party. Miss Hazel Green gave a Halloween party to a few of her young friends last night, A hayrick party preceded the regulation Halloween games, dancing, and other sports, which latter were enjoyed in the Green Cottage at Wapakisco Beach, Gowak Lake. Pumpkin pie was washed down with sweet cider, and then refreshment time came. So that seemed to be a popular thing at some of these parties, was pumpkin pie and fresh apple cider. The article goes on to say the Eve of All Hallows, or Festival of All Saints, as the Eve of November 1st is called, was most grandly celebrated in Battle Creek. Some held these celebrations an evening previous, but everybody celebrated 25 parties being given on the two days. Under this head, there were dances, hayrick parties, musical cards, and ghost parties. While the custom of ducking the head in water for apples, nutcracking, etc. are not so much in vogue as formerly, still these fireside revelries were practiced and another ancient ceremony, the lighting of a bonfire at nightfall, is yet considered one of the essential adjuncts to Halloween practices. By hayrick parties, hayrick is a term for a stack or pile of hay. So my assumption is that was more of a dance where they uh, 
held something at a farm is my best guess. So let's move over to the other side of the equation, the rambunctious misfits that would run around in the dark. Halloween, as usual, numerous minor depredations were committed. All Hallows' Eve conveys no impression of sacredness to the tired policeman who has to keep running from one end of the city to the other to keep up or stay on track of the small boy whose penchant for cussedness finds full vent on this evening. If the department could have the way, no doubt the obnoxious evening would be wiped off the calendar. Last night was no exception to the general rule, in spite of the proclamations made by Chief Farrington and City Attorney Clawson, through the papers that all depredators would be punished to the full extent of the law. That did not scare the kids much, and they tore down fences, tipped over outhouses, pulled cabbages, and displaced horse blocks with as much coolness as if the proclamation had not been made. Some hoodlums made themselves disliked by the entire Spear household early in the evening. The doctor had a keg of fine cider salted away in a cool spot in his backyard. About nine o'clock, he thought he would have a cup before going to bed. He found the spigot turned on, and there was not a drop left in the keg. Somebody had got away with what they wanted and left the rest to waste. At the home of Mrs. Mikens on Champion Street, a fence was sawed down, and in several cases, they were pulled over. Buggies, which were not well fastened down, were carted away and left in all sorts of strange places. But it was Halloween, you know. So that uh, gives you an example of what happened that evening in 1901. Now let's venture on over to Benton Harbor in the Evening News, published on October 31st, 1900. The front page has a big warning. A warning. Chief Johnson issues a proclamation in regard to Halloween, a big force tonight. We'll endeavor to prevent the usual pranks of young America. And here's what he wrote. In order that there be no misunderstanding, I wish to notify the public that the law will not be suspended in this city this evening on account of Halloween and that the police force has been increased and that all offenders against the law and order will be promptly arrested. Charles Johnson chief of police. And the article goes on to say Halloween will be celebrated in Benton Harbor tonight. The chief of police has increased the force to several times the regular size and will stop any attempts to destroy property within the municipal boundary lines. The town will be turned over to the mischief makers, however, and the officers promise to wink at minor offenses, which might be punishable at any other time. The celebrators are warned to remain within responsible bounds. That same year, on November 2nd, 1900, in the Benton Harbor Palladium, there is a story of what happened that evening on Halloween. And so here's one story. Tore his clothing. Theo Prescott assaulted by a crowd of boys. Arrests may follow. Pranks of Halloween are many. Notwithstanding the warning of Chief Police Johnson, there were several depredations Wednesday night on account of Halloween, and one little boy, Theodore Prescott, was cruelly assaulted by a gang of mischievous fun-seekers. It is believed that arrests will follow. Late in the evening, the Prescott boy with his sister were going from his home on Broadway to the residence of W.C. Hicks on Britton Avenue to attend a party. 
He had walked some distance when a crowd of boys surrounded him and tore off nearly all of his clothing. Then it is claimed they slapped him and otherwise bruised him. At any rate, the little fellow ran home crying and found his mother. Prescott's parents were naturally indignant and the police were notified. An investigation of the affair will be made. The boy is only 10 years old. Several walks were torn up around the city and V.A. Lowe's fence was broken down. Although the destruction of property was not great, the citizens did not suffer losses on account of Halloween fun. They say such depredations will not be permitted again. The police were diligent, but even with special officers, there were not enough to guard all property. In the same edition of the newspaper, two columns over here, is an article about St. Joseph on Halloween. It says, Pranks in St. Joseph. Many are of a serious nature. A fine new table was stolen. Buggy found in river. Man tied to a post. Halloween mischief makers reigned in St. Joseph Wednesday night, and some of the pranks played are of a serious nature. Several boys dragged George Carley from Cutherton's livery barn, blindfolded him, and then tied him to a post where he remained for some time. George is not a very good-natured man today. Someone stole a fine new center table from John Rector of Glen Lord Wednesday night, and the table came from Chicago and was encased. Mr. Rector put it in his wagon and left his team standing near the Union Bank for a short time. On his return, the table was gone. The police are investigating. A brand new buggy belonging to the Barnes and Power Company was taken from the factory and thrown into the river. This destruction of property is being looked into, and the guilty parties will probably be arrested. The family of C.H. Moulton were imprisoned this morning by a wagon which had been placed in front of the door of their home. Arthur Good's porch was destroyed and gates were thrown into the new Price Street sewer. Several wagons were misplaced. A big wagon wheel was put on the Union School flagstaff by some of the students, and boys broke a number of dishes in the pantry at the home of Arthur Smith. Chief of Police Morton is investigating. And those are stories from St. Joseph on that night of Halloween in 1900. Let's venture on over to South Haven, Michigan next. In the South Haven Messenger, published on November 4, 1898, there's a few mentions of what transpired on Halloween. Monday night passed in this place with the usual amount of pure cussedness. We think boys better be careful. One word to the boys who were caught in the schoolhouse last Monday evening. We don't know of any law protecting boys who damage or destroy property, though it be on Halloween night. We know one boy who was there had better be on the lookout. So apparently they did something very naughty that night. Let's venture on over to Marshall, Michigan in the Expounder, which was published on November 2nd, 1900. This is a look back on what happened on Halloween. The article is All Halloween, Celebrated Marshall with Proper Festivities. All things considered, Halloween passed off satisfactorily in Marshall. At an early hour, the youth of the town began celebrating by tooting on tin horns, blowing squawkers, and making other hideous noises under the delusion that they were celebrating the festival in a proper and fitting manner. Squads of 10 or 15 young people 
one about on mischief bent, and they committed no serious depredations, simply contenting themselves with heaving cabbage stumps at defenseless doors, tic-tac throwing corn, overturning horse blocks, and indulging in other equally harmless diversions. They removed no gates from their hinges for the very good reason that they have long since gone out of fashion and are therefore scarce in Marshall. There was a number of Halloween gatherings, a party of ladies in sheet and pillowcase costumes, wended their way to the abode of Mrs. M.J. Gillett at early candlelight, and that good lady was almost deluded into the belief that her domicile had been taken possession of by goblins. However, when it was announced that progressive euchre was the order of the evening, the genial host at once recognized the fact that she was among friends and entered into the game with such zest that she captured one of the prizes, the other being awarded to Mrs. George Powell. Dainty refreshments such as donuts, pumpkin pie, cheese, cider, etc. were served. Twelve young ladies enjoyed themselves at the home of Miss Susie Ferguson, in East Mansion Street. They were costumed in colonial style and passed the hours in dancing and singing and other like amusements. Carlton Berry entertained 20 of his young friends and not only celebrated Halloween, but also his birthday. Mabel Johnson and Mary Hannenberg entertained a few of their friends at the home of the former East State Street a marshmallow roast, and various games served to entertain the guests. One of the most unique parties of the evening was that given by Mr. and Mrs. W.R. Simmons. At an early hour, five couples were seated in the Simmons parlor. They presented a ghost-like appearance, being arrayed in sheets and pillowcases. It was a silent company, and each was wholly ignorant of the identity of the others. Under the guidance of a spirit-like form, the company was taken by way to the back door to the attic of C.T. Cook's residence, which, by the way, extends over the entire house, and there, seated on the floor in a semicircle by the light of one lonely jack-o'-lantern, each related his or her history, the supposition being that the narrator had inhabited the Tale of Tears, during the 17th or 18th century. At the conclusion of each harrowing tale, other spooks who, quite unknown to the guests proper, had been stationed in the dark corners of the garret, set forth most horrible and ear-breaking sounds from the various musical instruments which they were provided. After returning to the house, masks were removed and ice cream and cake were served. The guests were several people from the community. So that was kind of an interesting, uh, spooky experience for people that attended that party. Kind of gives you an idea for your own Halloween parties, uh, looking back at the way they did it back then. One of those jolly parties that seemed to coagulate out of the spirit of hilarity pervading everything at Halloween reached its consummation at Brace Lake in two hayloads. All the young people and sandwiches and tin horns that could be brought together in two days were there, besides a jug of cider and a fortune teller. Miss Murphy, the palmist, had been secured for the evening and was kept busy delineating character and forecasting events, dancing round, square dancing, and fancy was a feature of the entertainment. Charles Day gave an exhibition of some fine points. He knows of rope skipping and horseback riding on a sawhorse. And Eddie Stewart gracefully, though modestly, 
and with evident unwillingness did a flying trapeze act. John Hughes was a ringmaster in a circus performance and was kept busy at attending to the mules under his charge. At supper, when the feast of reason and flow of soul became truly remarkable, Mrs. Wright made a speech that was live in the minds of all who heard it, and Win Phelps thawed sufficiently to reply in as many as 14 words. Altogether, it was a merry Halloween, and the evening was all too short. No fatalities on the evening were reported, and we have been unable to learn of any serious damage done to property. Therefore, we conclude that the evening passed off in a satisfactory manner to all concerned. And that was the experience in Marshall that evening, back in 1900. And I find it interesting that Hillsdale, in the articles that I have looked at in the late 1800s to early 1900s, they seem to have gone in the direction of being more civil on Halloween, way ahead of many other communities. And, and here's a mention of it in November of 1894 in the Hillsdale Standard following Halloween. It says, Halloween passed off quietly on the hill as the boys had passed a resolution in chapel not to injure the campus or deteriorate it in any way. A very pleasant party was given at the home of James Green by Phi Beta to their gentlemen friends Wednesday evening, and another enjoyable party was given at the home of Mand Brearley the same evening. And there was no other mention of Halloween in that edition of the newspaper other than one quick line that said Halloween was duly observed in North Adams as usual, and it didn't say what that really meant. So a lot of that transition happened around the Hillsdale campus and the boys going to school there kind of reined it in. Um, they were guided by their religious teachers at the school as well. So that had an impact on their decision-making. I came across a very interesting little notation about the Alma College, which is northeast of Grand Rapids. And this article was published in the Bessemer Herald up in the UP on November 23rd, 1895. War has been declared between the faculty and students of Alma College, and it all grows out of the Halloween affair in which the pulpit and bell clapper were carried away and the furniture badly marred. A young student who was known to be out that night had been made the butt of all by the professors, because a year ago he refused to disclose some information they wanted. The faculty wrote a letter to the young man's father, and he wrote back that the boy could fight his own battles. When this letter became known, the students formed an indignation meeting and drafted a letter to the father. The faculty claim they have proof that the young man led the party Halloween night, but his fellow students say this information is false, as he is less to blame than many of them. The faculty say they will have the new law on the young man, who is the youngest of his class, and has always borne a good reputation. His classmates retort by saying it is all a bluff, and they will leave college in a body before they permit one of their fellow students to suffer for a harmless Halloween prank. So a little bit of drama at the Alma College in 1895. And in 1894, apparently it rained the night of Halloween or had been raining in the days before, making the dirt roads that were common during that time quite muddy. And there's mention of that in Pawpaw, Michigan, in the newspaper The True Northerner, which the mention of Halloween came out on November 9th, 
1894. And they say Halloween passed off with less disarrangement of property in the village than usual. We presume the muddy going was the reason. So I guess there was a lot of mud that year, slowing down the kids from wanting to get out there and uh, do the usual antics that they do on that evening in that time period. And a couple of very interesting mentions in the Kalamazoo College Index, published on January 1st, 1889, and they're reflecting on Halloween a few months earlier. And it states, It is a marvel to college students how sensible some people are just before Halloween. And by that, they were implying that a lot of uh, students do lose their sensibility on Halloween. And in spite of the rain, Halloween was celebrated with all the usual splendor on that occasion. As far as we can learn, no damage was done to property, but the music with which the police were greeted at their headquarters must have been harrowing to the finely developed sensibilities of those defenders of right. So it sounds like they brought out their horns again and were tooting just outside the police station at the college campus. And in the Pawpaw newspaper of November 8th, 1895, they give a mention of what was going on in Bloomingdale on the night of Halloween. And it says the kids had some sport Halloween throwing corn and rock salt against windows and indulging in other pleasantries. And finally, we'll return to Benton Harbor and wrap up with a very short article on Halloween pranks of 1896. And this came out in the November 2nd edition of the Benton Harbor Evening News. Halloween pranks, boys and girls, and even men were out Saturday night. Last Saturday night was Halloween night, and young people were out in full force. Some of the tricks played were quite clever, and others bordered on vandalism. Sidewalks were torn up, fences torn down and carried away. Signs of boot and shoe stores were placed by restaurants, and in fact, Everything that could come into a boy's mind that was mischief was quickly put in execution. So it seems like certain communities were so used to this behavior on Halloween that they didn't really give it much coverage or mention in the newspapers. And then others were outraged and they would spend a lot of time writing detailed articles. So it really just depended. It seemed to be a lot more outrage in the earlier 1800s when some of these things were going on. But... Uh, it varied from community to community as well. And it's just an interesting time period to look back at. I think there's still mischief on Halloween even in present day from kids, but most of the time it's all about trick-or-treating and going to parties these days than anything else. And certainly a lot more about costumes and dressing up than it appears to have been so much back in the day. There weren't many mentions of costume characters other than the actual ones going to parties as mentioned in the articles. So that being said, I hope everyone out there has a safe and happy Halloween, and hopefully there's some good weather out there for the trick-or-treaters that are going out there. I know it is a very special time when you're a kid going door-to-door to get candy and all of those experiences, and I have fond memories of trick-or-treating when I was little, so it is a great uh, custom and holiday, and I have a lot of affinity for it in general. And many times I find myself saying, well, I'll just go out and do something on Halloween. Maybe I'll go to a party or go to a restaurant, hang out with friends. And then I remember that I live in a house that kids like to frequent because I have a very big porch. I'm right next to a city park, and I just feel obligated to stay home and hand out candy. 
In fact, I was scolded one year by a Cinderella when I went out for a walk. I was involved with Big Brothers and Big Sisters way back, uh, probably about eight, ten years ago now. And my little brother wanted to go out Halloween trick-or-treating, so I took him around the neighborhood. And then I came home and I opened up my house and started handing out candy. And I had a Cinderella come up and scold me. I have been by here three times, and your house always has candy on Halloween. Where were you? I said, well, I, you know, I had to beg for forgiveness from Cinderella. So it was uh, one of my funny experiences about Halloween myself. So, But that's uh, going to conclude today's episode. I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing some of the stories about Halloween of yesteryear. And if you would be so kind as to leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on, it always helps me to find new listeners that way. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And if you're on Facebook, go on over to Michael Delaware Author and hit the follow button. I'll be making a lot of announcements. And I always try to post links to my recent episodes as they come out on that page, at the very least. I share them a lot of other places on social media as well, but I frequently always put them on the Michael Delaware author page, as well as announcements of my upcoming book coming out. And I'll have some more information on that very shortly. The release date of the book is on March 11th, 2024. And I'll be sharing links on where you can sign up to get an email for when the book is released. They don't have it where you can pre-order yet. But I'll keep you posted on that information. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening. <laughs>